With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. and welcome to episode 23 of the Bomber Brothers podcast brought to you by the Pinstripe Alley community of podcasts. Sean and Ryan here as always. This week we were able to talk to Jim Passan. He is another fantastic follow on Twitter for Baseball Stats, also the co-author of Hidden Ball Trick, a book of interesting baseball stats, which he co-authored with Jeremy Frank, another former guest on the podcast. So, as always, interesting stuff from Jim and uh, Sean. Another interesting week for the Yankees. There's plenty of wins to talk about. There's one really, really ugly loss to talk about. Also, of course, new injuries to talk about. It wouldn't be another podcast without new injuries to discuss. This is 30 Yankees on the IL now total this season so far after Mike Talkman um strained his calf. I mean, you knew it was probably going to be bad news as soon as it happened. He was uh, starting his run to chase down a base hit, and he comes up limping as soon as he made one movement, so it was not like it was a contact injury or anything like that. So Talkman's down, um, and yeah, the uh, Yankees' outfield situation gets thinner once again. I mean, Tyler Wade was in the outfield the other night, so you know just how just how thin the situation is getting out there. So, again, hopefully reinforcements on the way with John Carlos Stanton, but looks like Mike Talkman will not be a factor in the playoffs this season. No, it, and it's a shame too. After he had such a such a good year, um, you know, I, I know when they got him, we were like, well, why the heck are they doing this? I mean, but um, you know, it was. Uh, it was sad to see him go down because really one of the one of the next the true next men up that uh, really exemplified that whole that whole spirit that the teams had all year and um, you know it was, at least he got to go out in a game that they eliminated the Red Sox in yeah from that's, that division anyway that's true yeah that was that was a fun part about this uh, this past week last time we talked on the podcast we kind of closed with um, <clears throat> excuse me how we. We're hoping this would be a chance to bury the Red Sox in their postseason chase because last time 
the Yanks and Sox faced off was in the Bronx, and the Yankees swept them in a four-game series, which pretty much put them out of reach in the division. This weekend officially eliminated them from division contention, but even even more so buried them in the wild card race. They were uh, eight games back of the wild card race by the time this, the weekend was over, taking three of four, and again, a, a weird series that wrapped around from Friday to Monday, but um, yeah, I mean, by the time they were done with the Red Sox, they were all but eliminated from being able to defend their title, and they fired their GM, so I mean, that part was uh, that part was uh, pretty enjoyable, I'd say, to watch the Red Sox be in complete disarray while the Yankees were knocking them around once again and finishing, uh, what was it, 14-5 uh, and five against them this season? Yeah, I mean, uh, just awesome, awesome job by the Yanks against the Red Sox all year. They they finish only losing one game at Yankee Stadium. Is that correct? Because they they only lost the one th- game of the three game set um, at the beginning of June. They swept the two game and the four game series. Mm-hmm. So to to only lose one game at home and then just have that speed bump um, that one series at Fenway. Uh, phenomenal job against the Red Sox, which I think was probably on the Yankees' radar this year, given the way that the Red Sox did manhandle them in the second half last year and the way that the um, playoffs went. I'm sure the Yankees took a lot. And, you know, they played New York, New York again. So um, I think they took a little extra satisfaction uh, in, in knocking them out. But it's a shame that Talkman was a casualty because for a guy who played center field, um, you know, to get that kind of, kind of production – it was, um, you know, it, it's a shame shame to lose that. I mean, a 865 OPS out of a guy that could play very good defense in the outfield and that wasn't even supposed to be on the team, uh, you know, you'll take that. Yeah, and I know that's an OPS that had been dropping over the past mm-hmm. month. Um, but, but he had a little hot streak there at the end. Yeah, he the game he goes down, he bloops a ground rule double down the left field, li- down the left field line, then rips a home run to right field. And then, and then you're like, all right, like his, um, at least, at least for me, having just written a story about his, um, bad Babbitt bluff luck of late, I was like, all right, he bloops that double into no man's land. I'm like, all right, the luck's turning around and instead he's out for the year. It's, uh, it's, it definitely sucks to see, especially because like we, like I mentioned, Aaron Hicks probably out for the year as well could be a, a Tommy John option now the latest news says um Cameron Maben has not been playing a lot because he's dealing with a wrist injury that's probably not going to get better until the off season and yeah I mean again this this outfield situation is uh is getting very thin you you hope you hope Gardner can hold up through the end of the season and, and be a factor in the in the postseason hitting two home runs on Tuesday night um was definitely an encouraging outcome in terms of hoping he can be a contributor in, in October but uh, but the outfield situation is is still really thin. Clint Frazier's going to get time down the stretch. Tyler Wade will probably continue to get time down the stretch. But in terms of the postseason, when you want all your best bats in the lineup, it's almost getting to the point where, <laughs> where at least my, I find myself considering, is it time to give guys like Gio Urshela or DJ LeMahieu some some time in the uh, in the outfield down the stretch of the regular season to see if they'll at least be competent out there, kind of like a 
Jason Kipnis in 2017 for the Indians where, like, you want his bat in the lineup. you got to put him somewhere, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Take it easy. Um, (laughs) I'm just brainstorming. (laughs) All right, that's it. Yeah, no, just seeing what sticks. No, I mean, this makes the Giancarlo Stanton return more important than ever. Um, I'm I'm fine trotting Gardner out in center field um, as long as you could have Stanton playing left. Um, If you have... Brett Gardner as your number nine hitter um, with what he brings to the team defensively. And, you know, he has his moments offensively, but also I, I think he is one of their emotional leaders in having him in the lineup. Uh, although you can't really quantify that. And I'm hesitant to talk about that kind of stuff. I, you know, he is one of those stalwart guys that, that the team seems to rally around. And um, while I think Aaron Hicks is a far superior player, um, you could do a lot worse than having Brett Gardner as your backup center fielder. The trick of it is getting him enough rest down the stretch here to make sure he's fresh when October rolls around. And, you know, maybe they do have to experiment a little bit with um, with some of the some of these guys here. And um, I don't know who uh, who in your mind would be a, a good outfielder. I actually have a, a player in mind that, that could maybe maybe play a little outfield. Really? Mine would be LeMahieu. He just seems to be good wherever he plays. And I know that's confined to the infield as of now, but he definitely strikes me as someone who would be, who would be competent in, in the outfield at, at the very least. When they're at their natural position, who do you think the worst defender on the infield is? When they're at their natural position? Um, mm-hmm. Don't count prob- first base. Oh, okay. Cause I was about to say Voight without really thinking about anything. Um, well, wait, wait, wait. All right, before you answer, why do they keep playing Voight there and not Incarnacion? Incarnacion's a better first baseman than Voight. I don't. He has been throughout his career. Maybe they're maybe they're trying to uh, get Voight back acclimated with um, with playing every day. I don't know. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyway, sorry. You can answer the question now. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, at at this point, right now, maybe. Glaber? See, I'm counting his natural position at short. I think he's very done a great job at shortstop, but for some reason he's not doing so well at second base. I would put Glaber at short, LeMahieu at second, Urshela at third, and put, put Didi in the outfield, man. I think he could – I mean, although the last time he was that far in the outfield, he tore his UCL, uh, feeling that ball off the yep. monster. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's got the speed and, you know – why not? I mean, for me, I, I think I think Didi would be uh, the obvious option because LeMahieu's the best second baseman they have. Urshel is the best third baseman they have. And I, I don't know, Torres and Didi is kind of a flop, uh, a toss-up at short, I feel like, this season anyway. Didi's made some great plays, but so has Torres. Torres has looked great there, which is weird because he looked not so great there last year when he had to play short. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. I mean— you know, Voight hasn't really looked great since he come off came off the the IL. I'm, I'm hoping it's just the timing thing, and and he starts he gets going a little bit. But Encarnacion has looked really really strong. Oh, absolutely, he hasn't skipped a beat at all. He's been fantastic since he got back, and um, he's he's certainly a guy I'm keeping an eye on as someone. He's a big time player. Exactly. Yeah he 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 strikes me as someone who has the potential to decide a, a postseason series with with a hot bat and some and some clutch hits in uh big spots come playoff time especially if he keeps this up Voight, i'm not I, mean, I don't know i'm not terribly concerned about him there's still plenty of time for him to shake that rust off and, and get back to what he was before 
um, the injury. I mean, I, I think we're past the whole, at least I believe we're past the whole, oh, you know, 2018 stretch was, was a fluke. I think he proved, not just with how he performed in, through the first half of this season, but, but the at-bats he, he puts up and his ability to work counts that his floor is not, you know, the one of a one-time fluke who just crashes back down to not being productive at all. I certainly think Voigt is is going to be fine. I think he showed that a little bit in the Fenway series too, because he had some he had some hard hit hard hit base hits. Uh, what banged one off the monster, ripped another base hit back up the middle of the center or right center, if I'm uh yeah, Mookie kind correctly. of misjudged one to center and and he got a double out of that. But yeah, it was yeah, hard no, hit, though. I, yeah. No, I yeah, I don't think Voigt is in any way a fluke. I mean, I think he's proven he's a major league hitter and, and a good one at that. Um, but I'm just worried about is that core really bothering him? I mean, he did have a couple of hard hit balls, like you're saying, but still, no home runs since he's come back. He's only slugging 375. Um, anyway, yeah, we'll see. But you know, that's you know, hopefully he gets hot here in the next couple of weeks, and uh, and then we're we're rocking and rolling. But anyway, anything. Um, you know anything stick out from the from the Fenway series that you wanted to touch on? I mean, I got I got a couple things. Yeah, I've got a couple things too. I I think um, we we already touched on Encarnacion. That that was one of them for me. And then I think the other one was just the performance of uh, Paxton and Hap. Oh yeah, that's exactly the two things I was thinking about. Um, Paxton, who they were just talking about on. Uh, Mike Petriello was uh, of MLB.com. They they dug into him in yesterday's Statcast podcast and just breaking down how he's basically been one of the most dominant pitchers in the league over his last eight starts, joining guys like you Darvish in terms of and Steven Strasburg in terms of how how good they've been of late. I mean, those are three of the best pitchers in baseball over over the past um, you know almost almost two months and. That is huge for the Yankees. I mean, we know about the st- the starting pitching questions, and if they have someone like Paxton, who we know has bona fide ace material um, in terms of stuff and his pedigree throughout last all of last season, then he'd be a huge factor in the playoffs and someone you can rely on giving the ball to every every three or four games. And again, he shuts down. And when we know everything that's going on in Boston, but they still have a really good lineup with three of the probably six or seven best offensive players in the league this year, and he shuts them down. And I think Hap was even more fascinating for me. He, I mean, he looked he looked unfixable through the first four months of the season. Like it was not a small sample size by any means. This entire season, he had looked completely lost, completely like he would be completely useless in a postseason game. And now in his last two starts, not only has he been almost unhittable and looked like a completely different pitcher, but they were against the A's and the Red Sox, two of the best lineups in the American League, um, save for the Yankees and Astros. So, I mean, it was. It's been a. It's been a crazy. Um, it's been a crazy turnaround for Hap. It's only been two starts, so we'll see if it lasts. But I mean, yeah, the, the performances by those two lefties were definitely what stuck out most to me. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, and I'm really excited to see um, to see Paxton just throwing the ball the way he is. He's been to- totally awesome. 
uh, his last few starts. And, you know, I'm, I was ready to run half right out of town. Um, Same. As we all are. And that's why, you know, we're not running the team. But, um, yeah, I'm excited to see, too. I, I know Hap starts against the Tigers today, but Paxton's next start will be against the Blue Jays in Toronto, where the Yankees have always surrendered a ton of runs. So I'm excited to see if that translates to a big game. Uh, in, in Toronto, and uh, and I think then Hap's next start after the Tiger series will be against the Angels. So it's good to get these guys going. Um, you know, they have in, in addition to the starting pitching, they have one, two, three, three off days the last two weeks of the season, which is already less than a week away. Um, the last the start of the last two weeks, so they'll be able to get rest for their guys in the bullpen, kind of take the the onus off some of the starters to go deep. So. Excited to see that these guys are hitting their groove, and it makes you think of the possibilities of the postseason rotation, especially with Severino, one one rehab start away from being back in the majors. Yeah, he touched 98 miles an hour last night in his um, start with Trenton. He was more consistently in the 96-97 mile an hour range, which obviously will play just fine up here in the major leagues. I was uh, reading a couple tweets that said a rival scout said his his uh, slider was looking back to normal Severino self and that he thinks he's, uh, at least it looked to him, that he was ready to come back, which I, I would assume is, is the next step. Yeah, so seven, I would say the 17th at Yankee Stadium, right? Yeah. I, I'm Off I'm, today, then the, the three-day Friday, Saturday, Sunday, off day Monday. I'm thinking the same it. thing. I mean, it could be, it could be a really exciting... Uh, what is that? The final homestand of the regular season, right? Because mm-hmm. you have, you know, Severino coming back, and now they're saying that John Carlos Stanton is expected to return to the team during uh, the homestand as well. So that's definitely going to be a uh, plenty of reasons to to watch that final homestand of of the regular season. So I think we assume that Severino and Paxton and Tanaka will be in the rotation, although Tanaka still has looked iffy lately but yeah. in october tanaka morphs um who would you put in that what would you do with that fourth spot I'm, i don't think domingo has earned it i think despite domingo's record he has not pitched as as nearly as well as his record shows or zra for that matter yeah i mean if if they were going to give him a start or any bulk innings out of the bullpen i uh i think it would have to be at home i just he's been so dreadful on the road i'd be uh i'd be petrified <laughs> to uh to give him any bulk innings at uh on the road, but I don't know for this fourth one. I keep going, I keep going back and forth because you know part of me is like, well, you can pair up like like what they're gonna do t- today mm-hmm. with CC and Herman. Like you can do that, and um, but and then you're like, oh well, you know, what if Hap keeps looking the way? Like, what if Hap's last two starts of the season look like his previous two? And then all of a sudden, you've got four straight starts of Hap looking like he did down the stretch of last season. And, you know, you still go into that kind of uneasy because you still have four months of of evidence that he can get absolutely obliterated um, at any time. So it's a tough, it's a tough, uh, it's a tough um, situation. I don't know. And, and I, I, honestly, if, if Severino comes back looking good, I still don't know how much he's built up to last in a in a postseason start. And you you know they might um, they might want to open up with with Chad Green and then go to Severino or, or something like that. Well, I mean, 
I think you, you kind of the, the answer is staring at us in the way that they're going to use Domingo today in the second game as the, that handcuff for CC. And I think you could do that with Hap or any pitcher, right? Where especially with a lefty, right? If you have Hap or or uh, CC come start the game and go three innings, and then you can bring in Herman, um, you know, then that causes all the batters that were in there, the righties. Now they have to deal with Herman's curveball. Um, it changes the complexion of the game, and I think him being able to air it out out of the pen might be, might be better. But um, we'll see. I mean, you know, even if even if Severino can only give you three or four innings, you you have enough enough in the bullpen, especially with Batances. I mean, when's he going to be here? Soon? Yeah, I, I assume he's going to take a little longer. He's he's hitting the ninety two, ninety three, touching ninety four range um, in terms of his fastball. Um, right now, so obviously knowing Batanzas' track record, he can still ramp that up at least a, f- a few miles an hour. So he might need some some more time. But at, you know, at the same time, he's only going to be expected to come in for an inning, so he doesn't yeah. have to he doesn't have to build mm-hmm. back up as much, I guess you could say. Um, so, like, let's assume that he comes back, and I just wrote these these names down: Chapman in the ninth, Britton in the eighth. Otto in the seventh, Canley in the sixth, Patances in the fifth, Green in the fourth. You only need three. You can go with all those guys only for one inning each, and that gets you through a nine-inning game if you have a starting of three innings. So yeah, and with all the off days in a postseason series, uh, you don't have to worry as much about using all those guys in in one day. And again, a, a quick sidebar. Hopefully, Canley's okay. He didn't come into the game on Tuesday because he's been dealing with wrist tendonitis, which. I don't know. Sounds scary to me. They said that he it, said he's he'd be yeah, fine. Yeah, he said he's yesterday. fine. But yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. But yeah, no, that, that's that's uh, obviously a great. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Yankees have the probably the deepest bullpen in baseball. So this is uh, the playoffs are the perfect time to show that off. But um, we so speaking. Go ahead, sir. No, I was going to say speaking of Paxton and Hap, we we talked about those guys with Jim Passon, which I was going to say we can play that interview unless you had anything else that you were about to add before we do so i wasn't in the interview so i have nothing to add absolutely nothing <laughs> all right yeah sean was slacking he took a he played hooky but um no he was out of town at work but i was able to talk to uh, jim Passon, co-author of hidden ball trick and we will play that inter- interview for you after this quick break Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, welcome back, everybody. We're joined now by Jim Passon. He is the co-author of Hidden Ball Trick, and I believe there are a couple more volumes of that series coming out soon. He co-wrote it with another former friend of the podcast, Jeremy Frank. Jim, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us. Yeah, Ryan, thanks. I appreciate it. All right, so I saw one of your... um, Recent tweets, and, and again, Jim's a, a great follow on Twitter for baseball stats in general, not just the Yankees, but I had seen um, one of your tweets about the 1961 Yankees, one of the most dominant teams in baseball history, being the only team with 50% of their extra base hits being home runs, but this year's team has 
an opportunity to join them. And, you know, it kind of got me thinking of how there's these arguments about how the Yankees are too reliant on the home run and that it will come back to bite them against top pitching. But we've seen in years past that the majority of runs generated in the postseason is by the home run. So, I mean, what is your take on that? Do you see their offense being successful against top pitching this postseason? And is the home run the way to get to the World Series and eventually win it? Yeah, it seems to be that's the the ticket to success for most of the teams, um, especially in today's age with the juice ball. So, uh, yeah, run production is what it's all about. And putting up runs is a lot easier when you're hitting them out of the yard. So uh, get them on base like they're doing with Urshela and LeMahieu. And then, yeah, just have a solid lineup like they have of 20 home run hitters on there. And and they're just going to be able to take care of business. So uh, it seems like they're pretty well primed, at least offensively, ready for the, the postseason. And you also tweeted this morning that this year's Yankees team, the Twins, the Astros, three of the top teams ever in terms of team slugging percentage. And, you know, given the Yankees hit a lot of home runs, but they also give up a lot. A lot of their starting staff is susceptible to the long ball, specifically guys like Tanaka, Happ, and Domingo Herman. So given the fact that the other two Twins mentioned in that other two teams, excuse me, mentioned in that tweet, the Twins and the Astros are two very likely playoff opponents for the Yankees. Does that... Is that concerning to you, or should it be concerning to Yankee fans that you know, they have a pitching staff that can give up a lot of home runs and a couple of the top contenders in the American League just happen to hit historically a lot of home runs? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the uh, standings in the AL and uh, you look across and see those division leaders like the Yankees and the Twins and the Astros, uh, yeah, it just... It seems like it's setting up uh, for the at least the AL side of the playoffs just basically being a home run derby with those style of teams that they have. So uh, it's going to be real tough on the Yankees pitchers uh, to be able to hold them down, that's for sure. Um, but they've been pitching better as, as of late. Uh, seems like Paxton's been keeping the ball down, keeping the ball in the yard. But, yeah, people like Domingo Hermann, they have to be able to get that home run ball reined in uh, against those good teams or else uh, it's going to be hard to win games 10-9 to throughout the playoffs. Uh, one of those pitchers I just mentioned, Jay Happ, has actually been a lot better over the past two starts, not just shutting down two teams, but two potent offenses in the A's and the Red Sox. And uh, you know, before these two outings, a lot of people, including myself, were ready to write him off of the postseason rotation, and now he's looked dominant. I mean, is this in your mind, can this be sustainable through the playoffs? Are there any historical comparisons you can think of that would, you know, where pitchers struggled badly for four straight months and then suddenly figured it out, you know, this late in the season in September? Oh, good grief. Um, boy, yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, in recent memory, I can't think of anybody that's been just so bad and have such a a good turnaround as as of late like he has uh i mean even when he's given up some runs yeah the long ball's been the thing that's been hurting him but he hasn't really been giving up that many hits or that many base runners and it's just it's odd compared to what he did before the all-star break and then even shortly after the all-star break he still wasn't really firing at all but over his last six or seven starts i don't think he's given up more than five hits maybe six hits in, in a game so um it's just those, those hits seem to be long hits. So um, I'd like to see more of the uh, the half we got to see against the A's and the Red Sox, but I don't know. I don't know how much I could trust him going into the postseason, but you know, I mean, you got to draw a line somewhere. There's got to be at least three starters on that team when you get to the postseason. 
And another critical aspect to the postseason, as history has shown, is, is home field advantage. And there's been a lot of talk over how much are the Yankees going to chase home field advantage in this neck-and-neck -neck battle with the Astros, or how much are they going to prioritize resting guys, specifically the you know big, big four in the back end of their bullpen. Given what we've seen in recent years, as, as early as the 2017 ALCS against the Astros, just how... How important do you think home field would be to the Yankees, especially considering how dominant they've been at home this season? Oh, yeah. Uh, home field is probably, I'm not sure if it's more important for any other team than the Yankees like it is. Uh, this team is built around that ballpark. The way they play at home, um, the crowd getting behind them is one thing. But, gosh, just the way that they're, they're hitting opposite field home runs in that park, it's a lineup that was was analytically put together to, to score some runs in that ballpark. So uh, the advantage is through the roof for them to be at home. Uh, I know a lot of people always say, well, if they're hitting home runs in, in X ballpark, you know, the other team has to play in that same ballpark. Yeah, the Yankees were built to play in that ballpark. So uh, home field advantage has to be a key to them. I believe that it's uh, just by the way that uh, Boone's been managing, you can see that it's important to him. Uh, he could have taken his foot off the gas pedal you know, a couple of weeks ago and, and taken some games off here and there and there and here that he hasn't taken off. And uh, I can tell that it's important. And I agree it's equally important. I think uh, getting that first seed and being able to set up to see who comes out of the wild card is the advantage that you need to have in the AL. And another question entering the postseason will be the status of John Carlos Stanton. There hasn't been too many specific updates in terms of where he is in his recovery but now with the injury to Mike Talkman last night waiting to see how severe that is but if he's out for any length of time Stan's return becomes really important I mean what what do you see happening with with Stan if he is able to return I, especially given the fact that he's only played a handful of games this season and has hit really well in those games I think he has two of the hardest hit balls of the season and he's only played eight or so games that just what do you what do you think would be a reasonable expectation for Stanton if he's only able to get a week or so of of time to shake off that rust before the playoffs hit? Well, that's a tough one. Uh, it sure feels like you know, you're only going to get a small sample size from him before the playoffs even start. So um, you always don't want to really rely heavily on the on the sample size when he's first coming back from injury because he's trying to come back from injury. He's just trying to get his legs back underneath him. There just isn't any time to really get your legs underneath you. Uh, it almost feels to me that, yeah, Stanton would have to probably, uh, he'd have to kind of go off the hook and as soon as he can get back, which I'm not even sure when that is, um, just to be able to ensure himself a spot on the first round of the playoffs. Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, I'd love to see Toffman be all right, that hopefully whatever happened to him last night was just a strain or something like that, just take a few days off, but... Um, if that's not the case, eh, you got Cameron Maven, uh, Clint Frazier uh, that could probably step in and, and kind of hold things together. It's kind of what this team's always been about this year. But, man, uh, if you can add a bat like Giancarlo Stanton and get even 75% of what Giancarlo Stanton was a couple years ago, man, I'd take that in the playoffs uh, every day, that's for sure. So my hope is that Stanton makes it back and that he becomes a big part of this team during the postseason run. But... Without him, uh, I can see this team just still marching along. Next guy up like it's been all year.
Yeah, you said it. Next guy up has been the mantra for the Yankees all year. I mean, the list goes on of on guys who have just seemingly come out of nowhere. Is there one that sticks out to you the most? I mean, we've had Urshela just got back from the IL. Who thought that he'd be such an important piece to get back that everyone was waiting on? There's Mike Ford, Mike Talkman. I mean, any of these guys stand out to you as maybe the most? I know they've all been surprising, but any one that you would consider the most surprising uh, based on what you've seen this year? Uh, the ridiculousness of it all. Uh, you know, I mean, I never had the high expectations on even a Luke Voigt coming in. I was a bird guy coming into the season. Uh, but, yeah, Gio Urshela, Talkman, um, uh, even Mike Ford, right? Just that's amazing what he's been able to do for the limited amount of time that he's been able to play. So, uh, you know, all those guys impress me. But I'd say probably the, the most shocking to me is Luke Voigt. I just didn't expect to get... 100 plus games out of him this year have a guy that almost has an on-base percentage pushing 390 uh it, it was just that one to me is a surprise I, we haven't had great production out of first base for uh since basically a healthy mark to um uh, but this year like the boy to believe has a 130 ops plus this year which is just tremendous for us out of the first base position when you know my hopes were that we just had a league average guy at that spot so yeah, that's my, my surprise, even though it might not be so surprising. But I think his production level is over anything that anybody could have thought he was going to do this year. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone was expecting regression and <clears throat> excuse me, regression, and that the stretch run of last season was a fluke. And Voik is yet another one who had just come back from an injury nursing that sports hernia. And also Didi Gregorius has not so recently, but it hasn't been too long removed from his Tommy John surgery. He's he's had a few hard hit balls over the last couple of days, but overall has been in a bit of a slump. And it's uh, been a struggle for Voigt to get back to his form since being out. What do you see for those guys, specifically Didi? I, I know we've we kind of have a comp for Didi and Corey Seager uh, returning from Tommy John surgery. Do you think that Didi should be passed any, if there are any lingering symptoms of that by now, or maybe he's just in a slump? I mean, do you see these guys pulling it together before the postseason begins? Yeah, I mean, for Didi, I believe that it's probably more down the slump road. He's He's gone through that the last year or so. Uh, I'm trying to remember if it was last season that he started off hot and then uh, just cooled off for about a month and a half. It was uh, going from greatest shortstop in the league to I don't even know if he's serviceable for half the teams in the American League to be a starting shortstop. Uh, he, he has his streaks, but uh, for me, just big-time player, so you never know if just uh, the thing that a lot of people say, there's no such thing as a clutch player. Eh, I feel like Didi's kind of that clutch guy. He seems like the kind of guy that you want to have up in a big situation like you did against the Twins a couple years ago, and uh, and have that on your squad so dd i believe was going to be the starting shortstop in the in the postseason but um he's really gonna have to work he's really gonna have to come out of it i mean there's rochelle is healthy there's no reason that torres couldn't play shortstop and lemayhu swing over to second base and and dd will have to come off the bench as a specialist uh but i i have a feeling that he'll snap out of it and uh he'll be ready for the playoffs and what do you see for Didi further into the future, entering free agency that hasn't been extended yet? I'm sure the Yankees wanted to see how he recovered from Tommy John surgery, but now you've had LeMahieu step up and put together you know, one of the best offensive seasons for the Yankees this season. And you mentioned Urshela, who has come out of nowhere. I mean, where does Didi fit in the Yankees' future plans, in, in your opinion? No, oh, man. I, I, I love 
DD, man. It's hard to even talk about a situation like this. But in, in reality, yeah, you got a guy that's had a couple injuries in the past um, that have put him out for a while. Uh, and on top of it, he'll be 30 next year. So you got somebody like Gio Urshela, I believe, he's 28 next year. Glaber is going to be 23 next year. So you've got some, some things to work with on your uh, left side of the infield already. Uh, DD might just be a piece that unfortunately just uh, takes off and, and has to go elsewhere. Uh, I don't want that to be the case. I really think that there's many good years left in DD, and I'd love to see him in pinstripes. I just fear that uh, just the way it's setting up, that there might be a possibility that he's not with the Yankees next year. And that, that breaks my heart, that's for sure. Same here. We're, we're talking with uh, Jim Passon, co-author of Hidden Ball Trick. What what motivated you and Jeremy to get into this series, this book series that you've started? And uh, were there any Yankees-related stats in your research that really, I don't know, stood out or, or caught you by surprise? Uh, you know, uh, getting started on the book was uh, kind of an odd situation. We weren't really, uh, I mean, we didn't have any talks about it leading into that. Um, at one point, Jeremy and I had done just a little bit of blog work together uh, where we were just going through every team in the league and finding a nice stat that, that could be about a player and then about the team also so that we could the, – the article was basically stats that make every team sound good. So even a team as bad as the Tigers are this year, we find a stat that for a player and a stat for the team that were good. And so that's how Jeremy and I kind of got together to begin with and started writing together. But we only did that for a couple of years, and then uh, I'd say we were – we didn't do it for about a year or so that we weren't even uh, writing together. And then out of nowhere, uh, Jeremy, we talked, we talked quite a bit already. We were already good friends, but he hits me up uh, early last November, I believe. And it's like, Hey, you want to write a book? And uh, I didn't really hesitate too long. I'm like, yeah, why not? Let's give it a shot. You know, I'm, I know who I'm working with. Jeremy is an unbelievably smart person. And so being able to be able to, to work with him that I knew it was going to be a lot easier to write a book with him than it'd probably be with most of the people that I could possibly get with. So that was pretty neat that he actually approached me to be able to work with him on it because, uh, man, there's one thing I've learned about writing a book with Jeremy is Jeremy could write his own book. He doesn't need me. He's ridiculous. So, um, if you ever just see his name on a book, you should buy that one too. But as goes for Yankee stats, uh, gosh, I think, uh, the one that I, yeah, I like to think that I, I've covered quite a bit of the history, but as I've been doing the research, I've learned so much more about the game and uh, and what's happened in the past and, and players' names that really aren't all that popular. The Russ Fords of the world, who owns a strikeout record for single season for the Yankees, I believe in, I can't remember the year, it was early 1900s. But it just amazes me that there's no other Yankee pitcher that's ever eclipsed his strikeouts in a season before. And I think it's only, I don't even know how many strikeouts it was. It wasn't, a, you know, something that's insurmountable today. It just hasn't been surmounted by anybody in a Yankee uniform. I think that's one of my most surprising. And then uh, I always lean back on the Babe Ruth stats uh, with uh, Babe Ruth hitting all 714 of his home runs from 1915 to 1935 and during that stretch from 1915 to 1935 the Red Sox only hit 712 home runs so Babe Ruth hit two more home runs than the Red Sox did over a 21 season span and I think about 47 of those home runs if I'm not mistaken Ruth actually hit them for the Red Sox so he tried to help them out but he still couldn't get them to eclipse the 714 mark (laughs) 
Wow, good stuff. All right, everyone, that is Jim Passon. You can find him on Twitter. And for more great stats like that, check out the book Hidden Ball Trick with another one coming out soon. Jim, thanks so much for talking with us, and enjoy the uh, stretch run in the MLB playoffs. Hey, Ryan, I appreciate you having me on, man. I can't wait to, to see the Yankees pick up win number 28 this year and, uh, and celebrate for a good couple days after that and then recover from a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks again. All right, man. Thanks. Take care, Ryan. Right, huge thanks to Jim Passon again. Everyone, go buy his and Jeremy Frank's book, Hidden Ball Trick. Follow them both on Twitter for great MLB stats that you can follow along with while you're while you're watching the game. And and um, and Sean, like he said, it's you know the Yankees. Their home run power will certainly play in the postseason. There are some question marks in in the rotation, not hap at least of late, but you know. I think uh, I think in terms of their pitching questions, I think the Yankee Yankee fans can find some solace in, in knowing that the guys you saw, you know, piecing together a bullpen day on Tuesday, the Cortezes, the Sessas, Loisigas, uh, those are not arms that you're gonna be seeing in the postseason. They probably won't even be on the postseason roster. But I mean, just watching them pitch against the worst offense in baseball on Tuesday was was pretty frustrating and, and ugly to see watching them blow a 6 nothing lead and losing 12-11. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have – I feel like a lot of times when you have those just throwaway games, you get a good offensive performance and it feels like it goes to waste. But what was weird was you, you figured that Boone did that because they got in late from Boston the night before. The picture of them sleeping on the plane was awesome, by the way. <laughs> um, but then he goes, starts going to his high leverage guy. So it's like, well, were you going for it or were you not? And then he goes to, you know, Adam Warren. I'm, I'm sorry. Not Avino. No. Um, what's his face? Chance Adams? Chance Adams in the ninth. I'm sorry. For some reason, I, I just feel like Adam Warren is still on the team. <laughs> Maybe he um, is and we just don't know about it. <laughs> yeah. He, it's, it's weird. Like, they just keep bringing him back. But anyway, I'm sorry. Um, Tell you what, I would have rather have seen him than Chance Adams. I feel like I'm pretty much done with watching Chance Adams pitch in the major leagues. Remember when we thought he was going to be such a good starter? Oh, yeah. And then, yeah. Anyway, um, so, yeah, they um, th- then they go back to Adams. So I, I don't know what the plan was there, but um, it is what it is at this point. So they got the, the rest yesterday from the rainout, but now they have a doubleheader today before they go play three in Toronto. So, I mean, it's not what you want to steal a line from Girardi, especially with the Astros losing a couple games in a row now where technically we're ahead of them in the loss side, but we got to sweep the doubleheader today if we want to keep that standing up. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, that's that's a game you kind of just like, at least on this podcast, want to address like, yes, it happened. Let's move on. It was very ugly. It was very frustrating to watch. Um, I don't know, maybe Boone got kind of caught in between of the fact that he didn't have Canely, um, and he saw the his, you know, B, quote-unquote, B uh, pitchers just giving up runs at 
an alarming rate, but his offense was putting up runs at, at the same rate. We had two home runs from Didi, which was encouraging to see, given how he's been slumping since he's been back. Um, I mean, now, not to put it all on the pitchers, there was a really costly error by Glaber Torres on what would have been an inning-ending double uh-huh. play when they were still up 6-2, to two, which, which, you know, those things happen. He tries to make up for it by hitting a home run his next at-bat, but... Again, just a really ugly game. They're not able to pull it out. Um, and those those games happen at any point during the regular season against against bad teams. I mean, the 98 Yanks got smacked around by the lowly Devil Rays late late in the season. But, um, but no, there's very much still stuff the Yankees are playing for, like home field. And the A's have done... The Yankees some favors the last two nights beating the Astros, so now the Yankees need to do their part and and sweep this doubleheader against the worst team in baseball. That that's it, and they go out today and they're they're rested and loaded. And you know what? If they have opportunities to win both games, I hope Boone goes all out because you know the series in Toronto is going to be tough. So you want to pocket these wins while you can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so looking forward to this weekend and the Toronto series. Anything? you're looking forward to this weekend is it yankees related is it not yankees related well i i don't like playing in toronto gives me the creeps (laughs) um no i just for some reason they you know they always play horrible out there so it it is what it is but um i'm looking forward to hopefully tuesday when severino's back that's that's what i'm looking forward to is the return of severino and possibly stan yeah um those those two things are what i have my eye on Yep. That I'm looking forward to. What about you? No, same here. The the upcoming final home stand of the regular season and getting to uh I, I mean I miss seeing Severino on a mound and I miss seeing Stanton in the batter's box. So I I think it's I think that's the obvious answer for any Yankee fan is to be looking forward to those guys coming back and seeing um how quickly they can shake off any lingering rust and get to form before the playoffs start because those are obviously two crucial pieces to the Yankees if, if they want to make a run at the World Series. I mean, you're talking about um, their leading power hitter from last season and their ace in in the rotation from last season. So these are obviously very, very important guys. So if, they, if you can get them back before the playoffs, especially given other injuries that make them even more important than that's huge. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they look in their uh, in their first stints back in the majors. That's yeah, exactly. I'm also looking forward to uh, NHL uh, 2020 being delivered tomorrow. Oh wow, that's be- wow. So that that's a big one, and the playoff tickets going on sale, which I'm in the pre-sale for. Yeah, apparently you. They didn't North, email North, me. Carolina didn't get one either. So um, we'll see. Well, maybe you guys will get it for the World Series. I hope so. Yeah, I was pissed because you, d- Dad, got one. I didn't get one. I'm like, man, like, don't they like we lot you log in through your Ticketmaster account to get signed up for this thing? Like, they have my account. I've bought way more Yankee tickets than Dad has recently. I thought I would have gotten priority. I think it's a random drawing. Well, I mean, you'll probably win it for the World Series. Just remember who's um, gotten you a ticket for you know. Pretty much every round since the the baby bombers came in, so you yeah. know that's all I'm saying. Just, just dropping that in there. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep that anyway. in mind. Well, it is what it is, but um, yeah, I'm gonna see if we could get some tickets for the ALCS and ALDS today. 
All right, yeah, exciting stuff. And if anybody else has, uh, if anyone else was fortunate enough to get picked for that pre-sale, which is about to happen in about an hour, um, good luck to everyone out there getting postseason tickets. And of course, the thing you always hope when you get postseason tickets, hopefully that you are event- eventually able to use them, meaning the Yankees are still alive in the playoffs. And um, but until then, still have home field advantage to secure. Still have. Uh, a lot of work to do. Yeah. Let still. me ask you a question. I know you're trying to wrap up. I'm sorry. That's when okay. you're going, when you're going to a playoff game, what's your feeling going in? Me usually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny because like the the last few postseason games that I've gone to, 2017 wild card, 2018 wild card, 2017 ALCS when they were down 2-0. So for me, like, it's kind of been panic the last couple times because, um, you know, ALCS, you know that's a must win or the series is over. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was panic. I don't know if I would say panic. They had CC on the mound who was so good at still so good after a loss at at that point. It's still a must win game in an amazing season. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then, and then the wild card games. I mean, I've had enough of those. They take so much out of you. But um, yeah, I mean, those times have been panic. When, when I was when I was young, and we were in the middle of, you know, the Yankees winning every year, and like you're literally a young kid who has kind of been programmed to believe that all the Yankees will ever do is win because that's all you've ever seen them do. So like when we went to the '99 ALCS, it was just pure excitement and almost just like expecting they were going to win. And then, um, yeah, I mean, then you had the 2009 World Series going when we went to Game 1, and that was just like the thrill of, like, we're back, you know? Because yeah. we had gone through our first stretch of not seeing them in the World Series for a while. So that was just, you know, if you were pumped up and excited, that didn't last long once the game started. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, for me, for me, it's it's usually one of the extremes. I'm either, like, freaking out, like, this is such a huge game, and... Um, and then, and then once the game starts and you're all like cheering and stuff, that kind of goes away, and you're just kind of pumped up and excited. But um, yeah, I mean, it's usually one of those extremes. Why? What about you? Yeah, I just like when you go to the regular season, it's like it's fun. You're you know, we're at the stadium. Let's get some food. You know, whatever. Playing the home run game on the way. But like, I feel like when you I go to the playoffs, I get very uptight. And like people say, have fun. I'm not having fun. This is a this is a <laughs> I'm on a mission right now. Yeah. I'm going to make as much noise as I can and try to help create a home field advantage. But it's not like a fun, it's like a business trip. It's like, I have to come out of here with a win. Like, yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Even as a fan, like you feel like this isn't like another game. This is intense. Like you're saying, it's like a panic and anxiety. And <laughs> I mean, I went ALDS when they were down 2-0 in 2017, 2-1 in 2018. And then the game you were talking about the ALCS. And it's just like, these must win games you're going in there apprehensive but at the same time knowing like that it's going to take over you at first pitch and it's just going to be a three to four to five hour roller coaster ride for your your anxiety yeah no it is but but of course we love it it's a whole bunch of fun yeah Um, and definitely pumped to experience it this year hopefully more times than one yeah i'm uh i'm hopeful at least three yeah (laughs) All right, well, uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Thanks again to Jim Passan, and we will be back next week, hopefully with another guest as we continue to uh, ramp up, as Aaron Boone likes to say, ramp up for uh, for the for the postseason. We're going full bore into the postseason. Full bore, yeah. <laughs>
All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you next week.